Well, let me fill you in on a few things. If you weren't here last week, um, we, we launched the year with this series, The Year of Living Dangerously. And, and I started off with a question, and the question was, have we as an American church, or let's, let's not go that big, let's just come right down to our own little living room here. Have we as today's Christians, in the middle of a pandemic or whatever word you want to use, have we started living too safe? Have we, have we started worshiping safety and comfort more than faith and living dangerously? And, and I made the confession to you that for me, I kind of uh, during the pandemic, I kind of started praying real safe. And it, the more safe I prayed, the more boring my prayers got. And the more boring my prayers got, the more boring my life got. Isn't that interesting how that goes? And without meaning to, my prayers became selfish. They became about comfort. And God, would you keep us safe? And God, would you help us get through this week? And, and there's nothing wrong with that unless that becomes the only thing that you're praying about. Yeah, that was the amen spot when I paused like that. Okay, just, just making sure. So, so there's nothing wrong with that until it keeps us from, until, until it keeps us from dreaming, until it keeps us from pursuing, until it, it, until it keeps us from becoming all that God wants us to be, and, until it keeps us from adventuring. Playing it safe is not what got me to where I'm at, and I bet if I took a poll, playing it safe isn't what got you Come on, anybody here ever raised children? Let me see your hands. You did not play it safe, I'm telling you, right? That is about the most dangerous thing you can do. But subtly what happens, subtly it becomes the normal. Subtly it becomes, we, we start worshiping around the shrine of comfort. I'll prove it to you. I've gone two whole days without internet, and I thought I was going to lose my mind. I mean, there's other people with real problems, but I couldn't catch Netflix or the playoffs. Can I get somebody to feel sympathy for me, right? Come on. Some of you still out of power? Anybody still out of power? Everybody got power? That's good. So we declared this would be the year of living dangerous. And, and I don't know what it is. I think the older we get, the more we start playing it safe. Would that be a fair thing to say? I know that it's scientifically true that the older we get, the less we live out of adventure and the more we live out of routine. And I started thinking about that because I was like, I was a dangerous kid. Was anybody here dangerous when you were kids? I could see that. Yeah. I could. Any other like dangerous kid? Anybody that was raised in my generation, how many know you were dangerous? Come on, how many riding, how many remember riding in the back of a pickup truck, right? Down the highway? Remember that? And if you were a guy, maybe girls too, I didn't pay attention, but if you were a guy, we couldn't be sissies and sit down in the bed. We had to sit up on the rail, right, everybody, on the edge of the How many did that? And, and here's what I noticed looking back on that. Whoever the adults were in the truck, driving the truck, parents, uncles, friends, neighbors, babysitters, they weren't paying attention to you. You were on your own. Right? And, and then when we did graduate into the car, we didn't have to wear seat belts. Right, everybody? In fact, we laid down in the back window of the car, got a tan, you know. Flip him over. He's done on the, right? We rode bicycles without helmets. Can I get an amen for all the dangerous people out there? Oh, and we didn't have water in these pretty little bottles. We had to, what? Come on, help me. Yeah, with that refreshing rubbery taste. Right, everybody? And we survived. Give yourself a hand for surviving, right? I, I grew up, my uncle lived with me some of my childhood, and he's a few years older than me, so I always hung out with the older kids. And, and, and I, I wanted to be evil Knievel. And so the older kids wanted to help me with that aspiration. And there was not a jump, there was not a ramp that they would build that I wouldn't jump. Because it was everything to me to hear the applause of the older kids. I cut my skull open, handlebars like jacked me up. And, but as long as they were applauding, everything was good, right? It, it was one thing to live dangerous as a kid. 
And then I had kids, and I wanted to teach them how to live dangerous. Now, with Janessa, it wasn't hard. She, was, she, she came out dangerous. She was ready for adventure. She was ready to try everything. But Jake, he's our cool, calm, and collected, and calculated guy. I remember one time we were at a cheerleading. I, I, this story's okay, all right? I've told it before. Janessa Janessa was the girl, she tried everything one year and that was good. One year on the basketball team, one year on the softball team, one year on the underwater basket weaving team, one year on the cheerleading team, one year on the jump rope team. And so one year we were at her jump rope competition. How many know you're scraping the bottom of the barrel when you have to go to a jump rope competition, right? So we went to a jump rope competition, and there we were in the stands in the high school gym. There we were sitting there, and, and it was all these little girls out there. How old were you then? Probably fourth grade. So there's all these little, let's just call them fourth grade girls out there, jumping rope, jump rope competition. And I was getting bored. It was just like, okay, yeah. Cinderella dressed in, I, I don't know if that's what they did, but, and, and I was just getting bored, and so Jake was sitting by me, I said, Jake, I dare you to run across the whole gym floor through all those girls and touch the wall on the other side and come back. I was trying to teach him how to live dangerously, everybody, and he didn't even have to think about it. He said, not a chance, Dad. I said, okay, then, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you $20 to do it. Now, Jake might not be the dangerous type, but he is the money type. (laughs) And he's like his dad. He can be bought. How many know what I'm saying, right? And so Jake, man, I mean, he didn't even wait for me to say it again. He got up, jetted across all these little jump rope girls, touched the wall on the other side, He comes running, locked eyes with me, I'm saying, locked eyes, and here he comes, uh, straight across the gym floor, got back into my seat. Everybody's looking at him and went like this. But I paid up, I paid up, and uh, I wanted them to to know how to live with some danger, with with some adventure. Patty's the most dangerous of us all. You think that she's just quiet and prim and proper. She's dangerous because she married me, you guys. All right? But I'm not talking about physical danger, and I know you know that. And I'm not talking about living recklessly. And I know it's a little dangerous talking about these topics or having a title like that with the, with the mood or the vibe of our country. I'm not talking about living violently. But I am talking about Living a life that says, God, I'm ready to get serious. God, I'm, I'm ready to get serious even if it costs me safety. And, and, and when I mean safety, I don't mean bodily harm. I, I mean security. God, if it costs me some security, if it costs me some comfort, I want to accomplish something for eternal value. And God will always hear a dangerous prayer. And I would go a step further and say that God will always answer a dangerous prayer because it takes faith to say that kind of prayer. It takes takes being fed up with boring. Come on, anybody tired of boring? It it takes being fed up with stale, boring, selfish prayers. And, And it takes more than let's go to church and let's get blessed and let's thumbs up the preacher or thumbs down the preacher. It's gonna take more than that Christian living to live a life that's dangerous. Last week, we launched the 21 days of prayer. We do that in January of every year. And usually it's accompanied with every day on social media, a video by one of our team members. This year we decided, since you've been on your own for everything else this year, this last year, we would just give you a direction every weekend, and that would be your next seven days of prayer. So last week's dangerous prayer was, search me. Uh, If you prayed that prayer over this week, I mean, no, that's a dangerous prayer. It it, it can get pretty intense. When you start praying it the way David did in Psalms, where he talked about, search my heart. 
Because there's things buried in our heart that we've worked all our life trying to hide and forget. And now we're going to ask God to search it and bring it back out in case I need to resolve some things. And God, show me the anxious things in me, the things that I fear about. And, and, and God, show me the things that I'm offensive in to you or to others. Woo, that, that's a dangerous prayer. And that was week number one. Week number two, here we are, and here's what I'd like to challenge you to pray for the next seven days, and that is not, not search me, but Lord, send me. I want to talk about sending me. Now, I know that when I say that, you might have a tendency, especially if you grew up in church, to tune me out and say, oh, this is like missionary Sunday. He's going to look for some people to go to Africa or something. Well, I'm going to put this text into context, and none of us are going to be able to escape without considering the words of Isaiah. Let's check it out. Isaiah chapter number 6, verse number 8, it says this. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to my people? Let me stop right there. How many know we need God's messengers in our world today? How many know we got all kind of messengers going on? We have messengers of hate. We have messengers of division. We have messengers of fear. Am I right about it? But what we need is some life-giving messengers of God. And, and when I say messengers of God, I'm not talking about yelling at people your favorite Bible verse that you like to go to. I'm talking about being messengers of God's grace right? He, he said, who, who will I send to this people? And who will go for us? And here's the prayer. I said, here I am, Lord. Send me. Mm. Now that's a scary prayer. It's a scary prayer because some of you, when I read that text or you hear that text, you start getting these visions and you start imagining that you're going to have to sell everything you own, you're going to have to move to Africa, you're going to have to live in a, in a hut and wear a grass skirt for the rest of your life. That's what it means to be sent of God. But, but let's, put this, let's put this into context a little bit. And let me ask, let me read this verse and contextualize this verse with a question. Let's look at it a little bit different. How about if that verse really is saying, God, what would you have me to do for you today? God, what, how, how could I be a messenger today? What would you have me to say? Who would you have me encourage? What would you have me to do? Where could I be obedient? Where could I be life-giving? Come on now. It kind of puts it in a little bit of perspective, doesn't it? Some of you are in this room old enough, and some of you watching online, for sure, you remember, and if you weren't there to watch it or hear it on television, you, you have at least have read about it in the history books uh, during the time that President Kenny, Kennedy gave his inaugurational speech. How many of you know where I'm going with that? The famous speech where he got up and said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what can I do for my country, right? Now, I don't want to get political. This is the worst time ever to get political, and I'm not going to get political, but I'd like to turn that and tweak that just a little bit and ask the same question, but not from a political perspective, but what if we could ask it tonight from a spiritual perspective, and, and what if we could ask, God, I'm not always coming to you for what I can get from you. But God, what could I do? Oh, that's a dangerous prayer. Instead of bless me, God, what if we started saying, God, how can I bless you? Oh, I promise you this. I promise you that'll get the attention of God. I promise you that might get all heaven to silence up and say, well, did I hear somebody actually want to bless me instead of asking for a blessing? Let me ask the same question in a lot of ways just to trigger and provoke your thinking. You could ask it like, how can I contribute and not just consume? Mm. How, how can I be a part of something that is bigger than myself? How, how can I encourage somebody today? Well, here's one for you. What does love require of me? I don't like that question because I don't always answer it the right way. 
What does love require of me? How, how can I represent God today? Now, certainly, don't get me wrong, certainly we ought to be asking God for, to, to help us, to heal us, to help us through life. Certainly, I ought to be asking Him for His presence and His power and His peace and for His miracles. But what if we didn't stop with just what we get? What if we then turned around and say, now, God, what could I do for you? I know theologically it's hard because God doesn't need anything from us. I understand that, but that's not the point. Come on, parents. You know your kid cannot clean the house when they're two years old. But when they come to you and say, Mama and Dad, how could I help you? How could I bless you? It's the thought. It's the love. It's the commitment. Am I right about it? Doesn't it just make you stop and go, that's my kid. Not the father's kid. That's my kid. You know what I'm saying, right? What can I do for you today, God? And, and, and maybe, maybe God would answer. Maybe God would say, hey, how about if you just take five minutes and hang out with me? Hey, you know what I'd love? I'd just love for you to just give me a little praise. I'd love, I'd love you to just take, before you ask for anything, I'd love it if you'd just tell me what you're already grateful for. I know, Ken, you're ticked off that you don't have any internet, but you still got electricity. There's a thought. Come on now. Right? Some of you are complaining that your hair's tangled, Tony. Some of us don't have it. Maybe, maybe he would ask us just to sing a song from our heart. Maybe he would ask you to open up a journal and just start writing things that you're grateful for. I know this has been the season that everybody's mad and everybody's angry and everything's wrong. But I tell you what, it would get God's attention for somebody to sit down and say, God, I'm not going to bother you with the whole virus complaint thing. I want to tell you what I'm grateful for. I want to tell you thank you for saving me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for rescuing me. Come on now. Maybe, uh-oh, here we go. Come on, just remember, you were just clapping. Maybe he would prompt you to contribute financially. Ah, oopsie, sorry. Maybe he would ask you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. It's dangerous to pray like that. It's self-denying to pray like that. And if we started praying, send me, God, let me change those words a little bit, use me, God, then he will answer. And, and, and by the way, don't disqualify yourself. Because there's somebody listening to me right now going, yeah, but I don't have my whole life together yet. That's why I'm up here. Because I'm the poster child for not having everything all together yet. Thank you for no amens on that part. That was really good. Thank you, church. I love you very much. But many times we'll disqualify ourselves because we're sitting there saying, oh, i got to get some more things together. i I, I got I to grow in this area, and i got to change in this area. And so we start disqualifying ourselves thinking that God uses the really mature Christians, the really good Christians, the, the biggest Bible-knowing Christians. Come on now. I heard Janessa preach this a few months ago, so I'm going to steal her sermon from her. Because when you start making excuses that i got to get a little bit better, you got to remember that God, all through Scripture, God uses imperfect people. Come on now, Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. David wasn't a, he had a, he was a womanizer, you know? And all through Scripture we see that Noah got drunk. We see that Gideon was afraid. We see Jeremiah thought he was too young. We see that Abraham thought he was too old. We see that Elijah battled with depression. And John the Baptist ate bugs. Come on, everybody. Right? And Eve blew her diet. She couldn't stay on her diet. Right? And so, so um, God can use you. L listen, I believe this is how God started calling me into ministry, and I never connected the dots until years later. I was 17 years old. I didn't feel God's call into ministry until I was like 19. And that very year is when I started in ministry. But when I was 17 years old, I went to a high school called Coldwater High School. And 10 miles away was another high school called Cenotopia High School. And at Cenotopia High School, there was this real popular kid that was a senior. And he was, he was graduating and is real popular. And, and his sister worked at the same place I worked. 
And, 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 and I was really, I was 17, and, and I had heard that his name is Jerry. I had heard that Jerry was going through some challenges when I was at work with his sister. And I felt prompted by God. Now remember, how many remember the peer pressure of being 17? My only priority when I was 17 was not looking too stupid. I just got to be cool enough to get through these years. And so at 17 years old, I felt God prompt my heart, I want you to go and talk to Jerry. What? I don't know any sermons yet, God. I don't know anybody. I don't know what to say. He's a popular dude. This could ruin the rest of my life. But I had a decision to make. And I believe to this day that because I listened to the prompting of God then, He was teaching me how to listen to His prompting even now. you got to get used to, Samuel, hearing the voice of God. And I remember, I was scared to death. Now, now you're seeing your pastor up here like all these years later. Yes, I was a mighty man of God, a mighty soul winner. I was scared, spitless. I'll never forget going up to Jerry's house, knocking on his door. Jerry didn't know me. He wouldn't spit on me if I was on fire. He was a popular kid at a different high school. He was a senior. I wasn't a senior. I got to his house, that dude, and I was trying to be cool while I was talking about Jesus. And so I was like, dude, hey, bro, you know, what's up, dude? You know, I mean, I didn't know what to say. Hey, hey, um, look, man, um, I don't really know how to tell you this, but I feel like, dude, this is going to be really weird, and I'm sorry, but I feel like God directed me to come talk to you. He turned white as a sheet. He said, what do you mean by that when you say that? I said, man, I don't really know how to explain it. I'm 17, right? I don't know how to explain it. I just feel like, man, I just wanted to come encourage you. I heard that you were going through a tough time. And, and, and then I started sharing with him some of the crazy tough times I had been through in my life. And he asked me the question, well, how would you get through some of that? And I said, well, when I was just a little kid, I gave my life to Christ. And all of a sudden, one after another, I started saying all these things and sharing all these things. And Jerry, that night, asked Jesus Christ into his heart. Come on now. Now, now I may, I'm sure that I made some theological mistakes in that little talk. But what I was doing was saying, send me, Lord. And it's never too late to start saying, Send me, Lord. Now, when you start praying that prayer, here's what will happen. God will begin to direct you. God will begin to prompt you. When you say, Lord, how can I be used? Can you send me? Can you use me? I promise you. He'll say, absolutely, and he'll prompt you. Come on now. How many of it's happened to you, right? He'll prompt you to say something really encouraging to your pastor. How many know that's true? When you start praying, God, show me, send me, use me, show me how I can be, he'll prompt you. Now, here's the deal. Here's where I want to to dig down in. When God starts prompting you, you have an option. I could have gone to Jerry's house, or I could have gone about my merry way. I don't know. I never seen Jerry again after that day. Never seen him again. I don't know where Jerry is today. I don't know if he kept serving God. I hope that he kept serving God. But it wasn't about Jerry as far as I'm concerned. It was about what God was doing in my life at that moment. I know it sounds selfish, but I was just beginning to learn what it is to ask God, send me, use me, prompt me, lead me, God. You know what? I'm not saying this for me, but I believe the simple, fearful obedience of a 17-year-old kid blessed the heart of God that day. How can you bless the heart of God? Come on now, right? And so he'll begin to prompt you. And so I want to do this. I want to give you three ways, three, three responses you might have when God starts prompting you. But before we go any further, how many of you will at least pray this second dangerous prayer? Send me. Use me. All right. For the rest of you that didn't raise your hand, may the fleas of a thousand camels find your armpits. All right? Okay. I'm just kidding. All right. So here we go. Um, So here's the three responses when God begins to prompt you to use you for His glory, His plans, and His purposes. And I'll give you a Bible character for each one. The first one is Jonah. You can respond like Jonah did and say, here I am, Lord, but I'm not going. I'm giving you the option. Come on now. This is an equal opportunity tonight, all right? Here I am, but I ain't going. (sighs) Ah. 
Oh, my, 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 my. We never do that. Look at me, God. I'm in church. Here I am. But I ain't doing nothing. Right? When God wanted to save a city, he found a guy with the right abilities and said, I, I want to use you. Now, now, now Jonah might have knew he had the abilities. He might not have known. But if God's calling you, that means you have the ability to do what he's calling you to do. And if you didn't know it before, you will never recognize that ability until you say, okay, God, I'm going. Because God has put spiritual gifts in every single person. He's put unique personalities in every single person. Unique talents in every single person. And, and then he stamped you with a born on date. You weren't accidentally living during a pandemic. He had a purpose for you to live in 2020. And you have a gift and a spiritual gift and a talent and a personality and a DNA to make a difference in this time right now. Come on now. Or you can hide in your house and start stockpiling beanie weenies and stuff, right? Jonah had the right gift set. He had the right spiritual gift. And all of us have what we need to do what God has called us to do. And some of us haven't even tapped in to the real talents and giftings that God has put in us. Because we said, here I am, I'm a Christian, but I ain't going Mm-hmm. Jonah, uh, here's a n- different way to say, Jonah had, the, um, Jonah had the ability, but he didn't have the availability. <sighs> let's read it, let's read it, let's, let's, let's check it out. Uh, Jonah 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Now I know none of you have ever done that. But everybody watching online, you have, all right? But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I think that's all I got right there, yeah. To flee from the Lord. Wow. Now, I know somebody just heard me read that and say, I'd never do that. I would never, ever say that. But I wonder if we run from God every time he prompts us to do something and we say, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I don't have time for that. Oh, I don't have the patience for that. And do you know that God is probably prompting us more than we realize, but we have too many times said, here I am, but don't send me. Here, let's make it really easy. Some of you have these by the stockpiles. Take some tonight. They're at the little information booth. It's not manned anymore. But how many remember these little something extra cards? Anybody remember them? We used to use them all the time. I used to talk about them all the time. On the back of it, it says something extra to show you that God loves you. And on the front, it just has our logo. No big deal. What if... On Monday morning, when you're on your way to work and you got to stop and get coffee, what if you went ahead and bought for the car in back of you and left him this card? Just a little something extra to let you know God loves you. How many know that little thing? I think too often we're looking for big things. We're looking for miraculous things. But what if just a little card and a little cup of coffee could change someone's life? Go out on the serve group. How about that? Go out and find a need and fill it. Join the dream team. By the way, we're trying to rebuild the dream team. Come on now. Let's rebuild it. I miss, come on, Mark, I miss having you out there every single service. I love when it was raining. Because I've seen you use your gift like no other. I like having a whole bunch of people greet me 25 times before I could get through the door. I miss the days of having coffee. You're better listeners when you're caffeined up. Come on now. And I know right now, it's kind of like, should I even be preaching this? Do we even have dream teams? Let's rebuild them. And let's be all ready. Come on now, right, everybody? Here I am, Lord. I'm at church. You see me? I'm here today. (laughs) But I'm not going. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to encourage. I'm not going to be life-giving. I'm not going to minister. I'm not going to love. Let's get off of Jonah. He's kind of depressing, isn't he? (laughs) 
So Jonah says, here I am, but I'm not going. There's another Bible character. Here's a second option, and that's Moses. Moses said, here I am, Lord, but send someone else. Here I am. Woohoo! Oh, special offering day? <coughs> I think I feel sick. Send someone else, Lord. <laughs> and now, if you really look at the story of Moses, Moses, the reason he said this, it wasn't out of, of a defiant heart. or it, it was that Moses felt unqualified. Have you ever felt unqualified? And I know this is a cheesy, preachery kind of thing, and I, I don't like cheesy, preachery, cliche things, and I do my best to stay away from them. But I don't know a better way to say it than this cheesy, cliche kind of way, and that's God never calls the qualified, but He qualifies the called. It's still true, even if it sounds cheesy, everybody. Instead of living in the confidence of God's calling, Moses was crippled by his own insecurities. Now, in all seriousness, I've made that move before. I've been crippled by my insecurities. I told you the story of me going to Jerry's, but I probably have hundreds of times I didn't go to Jerry's. Right? Exodus chapter number 3, check this out. So now, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? I don't pastor a church. Oh, no, it doesn't say that part, sorry. <laughs> who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I love this because if you read the rest of the story, I heard an old country preacher preach on this when I was like 11 years old, and, and, and I can remember little parts of it, but I remember the preacher, he preached this message, and, and he was talking about Moses, and all Moses had was a stick and a stutter. Ooh, come on. If God could use a guy with a stick and a stutter, and I, I'll never forget because he preached half the message, stuttering. And I just wanted to go up there and smack him on the back and say, get with it already, huh? And he preached that, and it, it just left a mark in me, a stick and a stutter. And I started thinking about that a little bit in this message, and, and I started thinking, what do those things represent? How many of us have a stick and a stutter, and we're letting those insecurities keep us from being used of God? Our stick, it looks simple, doesn't it? It looks insignificant. That stick really was a picture of Moses' identity, because all he, he was saying, all I am is a shepherd. Nobody knows me. I'm just back here on the backside of the desert with my stick. I just All I have is a stick. And what did God say? God said, I want you to throw down that stick and see what I can make out of the stick. The stick was Moses' identity. What if you threw down your identity and watch what God could make out of your identity if you'll put it in the hands of God? Here's a question. Here's a question. What does God need you to throw down? Uh, Let's go on to the stutter. The stick, it represents my identity. And God, if I put my identity in the hands of God, He can make something powerful out of it. But what about the stutter? The st, st Could you imagine being called to be a communicator and, and Moses is saying, all I got is a stutter. That doesn't mix, does it? And some of us have spent all of our energy showing God what can't work because of our stutter, our handicap. Let me say it another way, our shortcoming, the thing we're not good at. There's something in life you might be right that you're not good at, but there's some things that you're really good at, and you're the best you that God ever made. And you're better than anybody. And God has allowed you to be in this home, in this family, in this life, in this community for such a time as this. Not because he's concentrated on, on what you don't have. Because in your weakness, in your stutter, he can become strong. Come on, somebody say a good amen to that. <laughs> My, my, because we'll start excusing away our handicaps, our stutter. Well, I'm not good at my little $20 contribution 
isn't going to make a difference. It's a handicap. It's a shortcoming. Uh, I can only be on the dream team and serve one time a month. That's not going to make any difference. I, I, I can only, and we start minimizing You might not believe this. This might sound like preacher rhetoric to you. But some of you have no idea that you just being here has encouraged somebody else. Somebody comes and watches you. I hear it. Maybe because I'm the pastor. I hear it when I meet with people and they say, man, I remember the first time I came to your church, I thought, man, I didn't want to be there. But there was this lady in, in a turquoise jacket, and, and she always wore an American flag face on, on her face. And she sat on the front row. And when it was worship time, man, that girl went crazy. And I thought, if that girl could go that crazy with all this craziness going on, there must be something to this Jesus thing. So I came back to see her be crazy again. I hear it. It's true. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize you. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's true. You have no. See, some people show up with no faith. So they need to come to a house that you brought faith here. They need to come to a house. Jesus doesn't live here while we're gone. Jesus lives in here. And so when we gather together, Jesus ought to be in the house. And so when they show up, they get to find out who Jesus is. Just show up. Some, some, if you just show up, if you just clap, if you just amen. I've, I've heard people say this. Man, I came, I thought you were on crack listening to you preach. I didn't believe a word you said, but everybody in the house was going, yeah, amen. And I thought either I'm stupid or everybody else is there stupid. Come on now. Use, use your shortcoming, Right? Quit saying, I don't have time. Stutter. What if, what if somebody asks me a question, a Bible question, and I don't have the answer to it? That happens to me a lot, you guys. It really does. Because there's hard questions out there. His ways are higher than mine. And I just, I've made a whole 34 years of ministry going, I don't know. <laughs> but let's pray about it. And keep your eye on the girl in the turquoise coat. And everything will be all right. I'm forever grateful when I was 11 years old, a few days before Christmas, a mom in her bedroom that was, I didn't know it at the time, ready to commit suicide. Life was pretty devastating when a mama gets that far. And I'll be forever grateful for the handful of people that showed up to my door with their stick and their stutter. And they brought us groceries. And they brought us some Christmas presents. And they saved my mama's life. And they prayed the sinner's prayer with my mom. All the while, if I could see in the invisible realm, they were holding their stick and their stutter. And I'm glad they didn't use it as an excuse because my life might look way different than it does. Can I get an amen on that one, everybody, right? Let me give you the last one. Jonah, he, he said, here am I, but I'm not going. Moses said, here am I, send someone else, but Isaiah. Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. Sign me up. I'm going. If you want to get the attention of God, I double-dog dare you to pray this dangerous prayer. It's not safe. Uh, it's not self-centered. It's not comfortable. Send me, Lord. Prob now, here's what I know. More than likely, God's not going to ask you to sell everything you own. And He's not going to ask you to move to Africa and live in that hut and never have running water or electricity again. He's going to ask you just to start with going to Jerry's house. He's going, to, he's going to see if you'll be in tune to his little promptings, little kind words, little acts of kindness. Mm -hmm. uh, send me, Lord. Send me, where can I serve? God, where could I help? How can I encourage someone right here? Right where I'm at today, God. How, God, how can I quit waiting for the world to get better and start today being a part of making it better? I might not ever change the world, God, 
but I could start with my world. And I might not can change my little home or my spouse or my kids or my neighbors or my church, but I can start with changing me. And I can catch on fire for you, God, and it might spread to one or two. I might never change the world, God, but thank you for sending me to Mount Vernon. Lord, help me. Whatever becomes my radius, whatever becomes my world, whoever crosses paths with me, let me be a part of the answer and let me change my world, God. Every single person in here can pray that. And if you want to do something bigger, then start with something small. Start with something small. Because I think I read somewhere in there that if you're faithful with the small things, the little things, He'll give you much larger things. And, 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 and God... When, when we step out and pray that prayer, it takes faith. And faith gets the attention of God. The, God loves faith. Look what Hebrews says. This would be my last verse. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith. Moses, here I am, but send someone else. I, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He, I like this word, he rewa- I like God's rewards. And He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Mm. This kind of prayer, guys, it'll lead you to do something that is outside of your comfort zone. And, and, and remember this, we talked about it last week. Blessings. How many wouldn't mind a blessing? I know you already got some, but how many wouldn't mind another one? Come on, don't lie, we all would. And every blessing and every breakthrough and everything great is right on the other side of our comfort zone. It's right on the other side of our comfort zone. It's right on the other side of us using our faith. And this will change us. This prayer will change the way you live from passively getting by and waiting for things to get back to normal to aggressively watching for opportunities to say, Lord, here am I. Send me to my next door neighbor that hasn't had a visitor in three months. Send me to do some grocery shopping for the shut-ins. Send me to stand at the door while all hell is breaking loose in my life, but give somebody else some hope. Send me to be a life-giving agent in this world. Come on and say a good amen. So the story is told. I'm going to close with this. Greg Crochelle, I heard him share this story at a conference He said, I think it was a guy in his church. I'm not positive. It doesn't really matter that detail. But the the story was told of a pastor when he had get done preaching. Just like I do, I book out there to the foyer and try to shake hands. These days, maybe fist bump or elbow bump, whatever. I don't know what the world's come to. We're going to start kicking each other pretty soon. And, and, And he had noticed this one guy had started coming to his church. And he would just sit there. And then when he'd go out in the foyer, he'd get past the pastor, wouldn't shake his hand. But one Sunday, his name was Matt. Matt stood in the shadows and kind of watched. And one Sunday, finally, he came up and he shook the pastor's hand. And he said, Pastor, I want you to know the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? Now, if that pastor is like me, there's so much commotion in the foyer. Sometimes I don't quite get it all good. I've said some terrible things to people because there's so much going on. I've had people that my grandma's dying, would you pray for me? That's great, I'll see you next Sunday. You know, I, I, sometimes you just don't hear, right? And so the second week, Matt was standing over there, and he come up and shook the pastor's hand again and said, Pastor, I just want you to know the answer is yes. Now what's the question? He thought, man, did I, am I hearing that right? Third time, third Sunday in a row, the man comes up, Matt comes up, shakes the pastor's hand and said, hey, pastor, I just want to say again, the answer is yes. Now what's the question? Finally, the pastor just took him aside and said, Matt, I need, I need to talk to you. I need to know, what does that mean? What, what are you saying? And Matt began to share his story. Matt said, I started coming here months ago. My life was a wreck. And slowly, little by little, God began to do a miracle in my life. And he began to restore me. I haven't, and he talked about how many months he had been clean and all the things God was doing. And Matt looked at the pastor and he said, God has done so much for me. There is nothing he could ever ask me to do that I wouldn't do. 
And then he looked at his pastor and he said, now, the answer is yes. Now what's the question? Because if you ask me, I'm going to trust that's God asking me. And I'm going to do it. Because there's nothing I could do that would be beneath what God has done in my life. Come on. Now that's the heart of a person that God can trust. We got some people like that around here. We, we got some, I, I, I think about it, and I, I wish AJ was here tonight, Lisa. I know he's trying to get home, but you and your husband, you're like that. Every time I ask, we always give AJ and Lisa some of the nastiest jobs in the church. Hey, during the pandemic, you want to sanitize everything? Oh, sure. The answer is yes. Now, what's it? You know how AJ answers me every time I ask him? And I used to come to him really sheepishly like, hey, uh, hey, Janice, you ask him. I don't want to ask him. Hey, Janice, would you ask him, would they clean the bathrooms because we don't have a cleaning team during the pandemic? Would they do that? And would they paint it? And would they tear down all the nasty wallpaper? And would they, you know, you know, you know, you know, and, and get it? And every time, every single time I ask AJ and Lisa anything, AJ comes back with, I told you I was your huckleberry. Doesn't he say that? Basically, what he's saying is, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? Let me, I'm going to tell you some stories. You might cut this out of the video, but let me tell this story. We did our legacy offering. And when they were looking through, one of the trustees showed me a check, and it was for $10,000. And I know who wrote the check. And I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff, but they wanted me to see it. It was a check for $10,000, and I was like, wow. And I happened to know this particular young couple, under 30 years old. I happened to know where they work, and I happened to know what their salary is, and it's not that much. And so I thought, you know what, before we deposit this, I just need to make sure this is not an accident, and they accidentally put a zero on there they shouldn't have put on there. We're not going to take advantage of people like that. I, 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 call, I, I call and say, hey, are you sure? Do you understand? I mean, as, as a pastor, sometimes I feel like a dad, right? And I'm like, I want to say, no, just take this. God will do it another way. But then I'm not letting them exercise their faith. I said, are you sure this is what you want to do? Basically, they said yes. Basically, if I could paraphrase, they said, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? You know what? Tim and Lindsay, I'm glad you guys are here. I was going to brag on your kids anyway. They were here last week. The kids heard about, how about somebody just gather some blankets? And how about somebody get some jackets? I didn't have any takers, so I was reduced down to socks. How about socks? Can I get some socks? And next thing I know, two days later, those three amazing kids, Bentley, right, and your two dynamic duo sisters, are making a video and calling and asking if they could put it on Radius Facebook because they believe God to be able to collect 500 pair of socks. Now i got to rent more rooms in this building so that we can start housing all this stuff. The faith of a child. These kids at their age are already saying the answer is yes, God. What's the question? I have a feeling God will use people like that to go to Jerry's house. <laughs> Come on now. And, and I was talking to their mom, Lindsay, tonight, and, and you said they're like 100 socks short, 150 socks short. 127 pairs, not just socks. Uh, 127 <laughs> pairs of socks short. Come on, everybody. Come on. All right? All right, so here's your prayer for the week. Here am I, Lord. What would you have for me to do? Who would you have me to encourage? Where would you have me plug in? Where could I contribute? How can I give? How can I be a part of something bigger than myself? Hey, by the way, you might be saying, ah, oh, yeah, but I'm going through like major stuff. Can I tell you the best way to receive ministry? Come on, grandmas and grandpas, any grandmas and grandpas here already know where I'm going, right? Is to give it away. Because you'll reap what you sow. 
And the best way, and in fact, the Bible says that in Proverbs, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. There is something supernatural about it. I'm telling you, you think that those greeters at the door with the big smiles on their faith aren't going through anything? Some of our dream teamers are going through the greatest hell you could ever imagine. But they have found the secret to getting blessed back and get through their thing is to pour into somebody else. Here am I, Lord, send me. And if you don't pray that prayer, here's a different question for you. If not you, then who? Here's a question. This is getting a little personal. But what if everybody that called this their church acted like you do? You can take that one home with you and evaluate that one. That came out a little ornery, didn't it? God is looking for somebody who will go beyond themselves who their number one goal is not comfort, but it's surrender. To go, to serve, to build, to contribute, to love, to fight, to pray, to lead, to encourage, to create, to invent, to... Come on now. He's basically looking for somebody that will live dangerously. If you'll say, here am I, Lord, send me, would you stand to your feet right now all over this place? I want to pray for you.